Early the next morning, before I had time to rub the sleep from my eyes, we were off, back along the meandering narrow mountain roads. Along the roads where every vet available inch of space had been utilized for food growing. Corn, beans, garlic and many other vegetables were literally spilling onto the road surface. Everywhere sheaves of bundled sesame plants stood along the road. Wonderful sculptural sentinels hailing the coming of autumn, the season of plenty, and plenty there was, bursting forth from the earth with an energy I've never experienced. Unlike my garden, where I have to virtually coat the food from the ground with the continuous seduction of the water hose. Chapter 18 The Pace Unabated We travel under a favorite sky, which, with the advance of autumn, turns a cheap, deeper and deeper blue. I'm informed that this type of sky is called more than clear. We turn into the highway and Hunteg tells me that when he started teaching English 15 years ago, he had classes of 67 students. The situation is better at the moment with 43 students in each class. Each day he teaches from 8.30 to 5 and Saturday from 8.30 to 1. This reminded me of a Korean girl I met. She works for an accountancy firm from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. She gets four days off holiday per year. The year is 1999. Before I had time to consider these harsh facts, we turned off onto a narrow country road and stopped in front of Hanji, Korean paper one of the Korean-only handmade paper factories left. After being welcomed by the owner, we entered the 19th century. A dank, dark, smelly place where many silhouettes were working awfully hard in the highest of, in the hardest, in the harshest of conditions, creating the most beautiful, subtle paper from tree bark. For this process, the tea bark is boiled into a mesh and then bleached to a perfect white. For the finer paper, two women are slowly sorting through this soup for, for knots and other irregularities. Everywhere bent over big fats filled with, with a watery solution, men are straining the pulp with huge sieves, producing layer upon layer of paper-thin paper. These wet layers are wheeled to another area, where a couple of nimble-fingered women performing the most graceful motions, lifting these sheets from moist pile and with a few deft strokes brush them onto a warm wall, from which they are peeled a moment later in the, in, and to be placed on a cart, taken away for sale. I bought a roll of fresh, warm paper, visual poetry produced by human hardship, age-old magic, from the brutality of this particular work system. The Queen also saw this. Before I had time, Ahu Mole Village is unique, famous for its age and beautiful scenery. 
It is named Hahu because the, the river Natun flows around it in an S-shape, a village situated in a loop of land. It dates from the 16th century and nothing much has changed. The, the, the locals keep it that way. Its roots go back some 600 years. There are well over 100 original houses. Some are workers' houses with their traditional straw roof, and others are better class house with tiled roof. Truly a museum of living treasure. We wandered and wandered along ancient streets and tiny walkways. I bought a pair of traditional beautiful straw shoes, a reminder of a simple beauty. Before I had time to get any feel for the place, we were off again, back onto the road. Everywhere squares of, squares of black cloth fell to the edge of the road. Here, like brilliant crimson red rubies, red peppers were drying into the, in the sun. Precious jewelry displayed in the most exquisite settings of velvet-like green fields. On and on. Resting, it seems forgotten in the corner of this fast road, a slow and very, very old village breathes the, the, the ancient rhythm of the continuity of the seasons. Summer, autumn, winter, spring. Summer, autumn, winter, spring. Dutzil is the name of this village. It contains just a few houses set in a large garden-like space, surrounded by a fine-looking wall. The prettiest place I've seen in Korea. We parked the car outside the village wall. Quietly and with reverence, we entered through the gate. There, in a room of one of the houses, its walls hoisted up for summer, sat a host, a very old man with wispy silvery hair, quietly smoking a cigarette. Respectful greetings, bowings and words are exchanged. He showed us around. We saw a 500-year-old meeting place set on a huge rock, surrounded by water. Elegant reflections, so still, so meditative, so quiet. Since I was a special and honored guest, our host used three keys, opening up in small place where the village, village's treasures were housed. Treasures indeed, centuries old calligraphy, which were amongst the most moving and impressive I've stood in front of. Even though I could not read them, it was possible to sense their aesthetic quality and ancient inner beauty. Another absolute treat, but there was little time, off onto the fast road of sightseeing. Abundant harvest. During spring I wrote about pear trees pruned and bought bound up in a certain way. Now each pair was hidden from the birds in a paper bag. Such a special culture. Green trees producing ochre origami paper bag flowers. But the road moves on and leads us through a small town. Time for lunch. This time the, the wonderful and refreshing Noon Myung cold noodle soup. Imagine it is unbearably hot outside. The restaurant is cooled with many fans. 
On the table in front of you, a stainless steel bowl containing a meat soup broth is placed. Large ice blocks float about in the moat around the island created by piled up food in the center of the bowl. Each generous swirl of, of buckwheat noodles, which supports layers of the coolness of vegetables, cucumbers and tomatoes. A slice of beef and half a hard boiled egg for protein finishes the presentation. This dish comes with a pair of scissors, which I used to cut along noodles. Clean, cool and refreshing. A perfect dish for a hot day. You never come away from lunch in Korea feeling uncomfortably full, but always nourished. Before I have time to, we are off again. Every temple in is famous in, in Korea. Bu Suk Sa is famous for, as its name, floating rock implies just that. Sitting high upon a mountain, besides a floating rock, this temple overlooks wave upon wave of distance mountains. It is definitely worth the view after climbing for half an hour into the incredible afternoon heat. Floating rock, a mass of rock I was told that the story of the floating rock of this rock was tested by passing a, a rope underneath it. A wonderful tale. At this point I lose interest. I'm wrecked. Not so much from the physical effort, but more from an overload of visual and mental information. Stimulation. No more can go in. I am full, cramped with facts. Stuffed with information, loaded with too much beautiful imagery, jammed with divine pictures, filled with clouds and mountains, full, bloated, gorged, sated, saturated. Now I know how the tour tourists feel. Like overindulging at the table, like stuffing food, what a waste. I can't take in any more. I can only sit quietly near the spring, settling while the others run around and in and out of the temple, the valley viewing room and the display area. I feel totally tired, defeated. I refuse to move and want to momentarily taste, take the, some of this grandeur into myself rather than into my camera. Slow walking downhill, faking total tiredness, we arrive at the base of the mountains. And after once more running the, gaunt, the commercial gauntlet, of which you find at every temple site, settle for a refreshing drink. From here we part company. Three of the four students are returning to Seoul, while Ji Young and I are off on to the smooth air-conditioned bus via Taegu to Kyongdong. Quietly, gratefully, thankfully, full.